Hi, this is Joe Shannon. I'm a lawyer, a husband, a father of six kids, and I also uh, host a podcast called Opening Statement with Joe Shannon. Please consider listening to our podcast on YouTube, Spotify, and Apple, and any other folks that host podcasts. Just Google Joe Shannon and podcast and you'll find it. I hope you enjoyed the show. Hey, we're, we are so excited today. We have uh, a really cool guest today, Patty McGuire Armstrong, all the way from North Dakota, who is an author, blogger. She's going to have her own podcast one day for sure. I know that. Um, and just a really cool guest. So uh, she's, she's a mom of 10 kids. I think she's got about 11 grandkids living out in the prairie there in North Dakota and making a huge difference in the lives uh, of millions of Americans. Thank you so much for being here, Patty. Oh, thanks for having me. So tell me, Patty, um, introduce yourself to the audience here. Where'd you grow up? I grew up in Dearborn, Michigan, outside of Detroit, in um, typical, for, for that era, Catholic school, Catholic neighborhood, nuns in habits, but by the time we graduated, nobody was wearing, hardly anybody was wearing habits anymore. The world changed dramatically. I graduated um, 1975, and, and then I went to Michigan State University, graduated in, I actually started out at University of Detroit, took a year of journalism, so I want to talk about that later as we go on. Um, I started out in journalism. I just loaded up on journalism classes, transferred to Michigan State University, and I had to work while I was in school. And if you're in journalism, you got to write. You can't just take classes if you want a job when you graduate. So I was, I was writing, working for like a dorm paper, um, working school, and I just was tired and, and just thought, you know, I think I'll switch to social work. <laughs> I don't think I can handle all this, and I like social work too. And it turned out well, because I went in the Peace Corps in the Marshall Islands, Micronesia. I met my husband there, came back, lived in Portland, Oregon for three years, and I got a master's in public administration. Then we became Jesuit volunteers, and we lived on the um, Flathead Indian Reservation in Montana. From there, we ran a group home for delinquent boys. And, um, and then from we lived in Montana for six years, and then we moved here to Bismarck, North Dakota, which if anybody ever would have told me that one day, I mean, that would have been on my list of top three places I don't want to live, but we love it here. We've been here for uh, 30 years, raised, we have 10 kids, eight of them are boys. I mentioned to you earlier, a lot of wear and tear on the house, let me tell you, because boys are um, active, which is fine with us for the most part. Um, we, and two of those boys are from Kenya, they were AIDS orphans. First came Calvin, and three years later, his younger brother, Joash, joined us. And Calvin is now a medical doctor, married, expecting his second child. And Joash was in the Marines, finished in the Marines, and he's working for the government and working on a master's in business right now. And wow. I want to say about Joash, when he left North Dakota, he had broken every cross-country record in the state, except for one, because they cheated, because <laughs> their hometown boy, and I didn't know it, somebody else told me, they changed the course, because their hometown boy had the record, 
And, and so some mother of one of the other runners was upset and said, they changed the course, you know, so he <laughs> have the title, but we don't care, whatever. <laughs> well, that's great. Yeah. So um, I, I'm a big fan of Joe Ash because he's a, was a university of Portland pilot. Yes, he was. Yeah. And that's how we kind of connected because you ran cross country with his coach back in the day. That's right. Yeah. So, um, but Hey, listen, what a great, interesting journey you've had, Patty. So I don't know if you know this, but uh, I'm one of 10 kids. And so I want to say my sister, Mary Jo, my brother, John, my sister, Kathleen, all were in the Jesuit volunteers as well. Oh, so, wow. I didn't know that. Yeah. So I know my, my, my sister, Mary Jo, ended up in Tacoma, Washington at Bellarmine High School. My sister, Kathleen, ended up in Lorain, Ohio. And then my brother, John, was up in Bethel, Alaska with uh, some of the natives up there. Those are all familiar sounding places. I knew that was kind of the Pacific Northwest area. Yeah, yeah. So um, interesting. And, and then one of the alums of a Shannon Law Group uh, law firm I run was also in the Peace Corps and was in uh, Armenia for two years. So wow. all okay. these places you guys were scattered to is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah. It was. And and so we probably sound like, wow, they're maybe religious people or <laughs> Jesuit volunteers, we're Peace Corps volunteers, but we weren't at all. But yeah, we right. Exactly. So so now um, you ended up in North Dakota. I mean, so right now, the last two or three months have been nonstop headlines about this virus that's been, you know, the scourge of America. Uh, Tell me what's going on, how it's, it's taking place in North Dakota. What's, what's North Dakota like? North Dakota is very different from some places. I have six siblings. I have a brother in Prague. We, you know, so we, we email daily, especially since this COVID stuff hit. And I have a 94-year-old dad in Michigan and a sister there. So we have Michigan, Indiana, Ohio, Oregon, not Ohio, um, Oregon, Indiana, and Prague, and North Dakota. So we're always comparing notes. So I think North Dakota got off pretty easy. We shut down around, we, we closed the schools around, was it March 16th or March 17th? But we started having masses three weeks ago oh. and we're sitting every other pew. And um, my family and I have been getting into these big debates because hardly anybody like at masks, hardly anybody's wearing masks. Bismarck, North Dakota, our area has very low numbers. Fargo is the one, my brother was joking me and he said, I think that you should have Fargo annexed onto Minnesota because they're ruining our numbers. They just keep going up and up. Um, but we still have, you know, my, my, our youngest son graduated from high school on Sunday and um, only the parents could come. We were sit very far apart in the gym. We had assigned seating. The students sat on the floor. They didn't process, process in. They had the diplomas under their chairs. So their name was called and they held up their diploma. So, um, but then we went to open houses and open houses are pretty much business as usual, which in some ways people get upset and go, well, you shouldn't be doing that. But it, it's, there's not that much going on here. We have had the only deaths we've had have been um, pretty elderly people with most of them have had underlying conditions. So some of the stuff we're seeing on the news isn't really happening here. Okay. And so, um, you know, we, we, we're here in suburban uh, Chicago, 
And so we're still in a, I would say a, a pretty serious lockdown. Um, in my, my law firm and our maintenance company have all been essential services, so it really hasn't affected us. But, but as far as the, the children go, um, they've been out of school. Um, I had two college students that ended, uh, we had one that graduated, uh, or I guess graduated, but there's been no ceremony. And then, you know, they both had, they both came home. And then I had a uh, high schooler that stopped and then a grade schooler, and they're all doing the e-learning like we're doing right here, but it's a totally different experience. And I, I'm hopeful that we can get everybody back to school in the fall. We, well, our oldest finished his senior year on online and then we have one a sophomore at uh, university of north dakota who finished his sophomore year online we homeschooled for 19 years but then my kids went to the catholic high school so it wasn't out of the realm but i mean i didn't have to be involved this time so they just wow. which i was fine with <laughs> that, that's great so so i want to talk to you about some of the um you know you raised 10 kids but you are a prolific blogger, a prolific writer, um, and you just wrote a book, right? Yes, I did. Here it is. Let me see it. What do you got? Can you, just, holy hacks, everyday ways to live your faith and get to heaven. Okay, so what, how did, how did the, the title come up, Holy Hacks and all that stuff? Tell me about that. You know, it was a total God thing because I've written uh, a, a dozen books, and I was flying out to see my dad in Michigan, and the idea, holy hacks jumped in my head. I thought, and I'm always looking for articles. I write for the National Catholic Register quite regularly. I also write for our Sunday visitor. And I have a blog with the National Catholic Register. I actually was, uh, I won first place from the National Catholic Press Association in blogging last year. So um, I was surprised because I didn't even know I'd been entered. And it's a, and I just, you know, give all the glory to God because when I started out in writing, I, it was more like, oh, I'm going to do this exciting thing, and oh, I'm going to be famous. And once I let go of that, and I used to write in the secular world. Um, I even wrote for the National Enquirer for a while. And um, in right around that time, I was getting more serious about my faith, and I decided I wasn't going to sell my soul. I would just, you know, do good writing, and I wrote for Woman's World for 10 years. But anyways, I, so, so I got into book writing kind of later in my life. I was like 40 years old. And um, actually 44 when the first book was published. And um, at this late stage in the game, the last three books I've written, um, people came to me. This started out as an article. I'm sorry, I'm kind of going around. So Holy Hack started out as an article for the National Catholic Register. And I was thinking along the lines of, you know, life hacks. Life hacks are easy, clever ways to get things done. What about holy hacks? that you know, your eternal life is even more important. And so I, I look at different categories from spiritual warfare to humility to not gossiping. And I did a chapter, many chapters, talking about what are ways that you can make small incremental changes so it doesn't turn your life upside down, except ultimately it will when you make these little changes. Um, you know, for instance, uh, you know, like I have, a, I have a plant off to the side here. Somebody gave me a few years ago. Every time I water it, I say a prayer for that person. Um, just little things. Instead of getting mad at somebody in traffic, say a prayer for them. And I remind people that Jesus made a deal with us. He said, the measure with which you measure will be measured back to you. So if you realize, oh, this is an opportunity 
and you actually are receiving as much as you're giving. So the book is loaded with little things that become big things. Um, and where can I get, where can I get this book? Um, it's, it's published by Ave Maria Press. You can get it anywhere. You can get it online. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it Ave Maria. You can ask your local bookstore to order it for you. Great. And so, um, let's back up here. So you're, you're 40 years old. You start writing books. How many kids did you have in the house at that time? Um, well, I think, okay. Isaac was just born. So we had eight. We had eight, and, and I was gonna say the last three books, I just said, okay, God, I'm kind of done trying to push myself or like send proposals. I said, if you want me to do this, you're gonna have to let me know. And so the last few books I've written, they've come to me. So this started out as an article and a publisher said, hey, can you turn this into a book? So that's, that's how it came to being. And here I was, a stay-at-home mom, um, homeschooling, and writing became a hobby because even though I had a master's in public administration and I worked in the field, I still always liked writing. And I think God made me for writing because when I was in second grade, I would write stories and I did it as a hobby and it grew into my main endeavor. And I, and I, um, at some point I said, okay, as I got more spiritual and more into my Catholic faith, I said, okay, I'm going to give my gift of writing back to you because you gave it to me. And at that moment, everything I did for Woman's World had a spiritual element, like somebody was praying or they felt their angel was with them. And Woman's World would include that. And, and around that time, I just felt inspired to start writing Catholic books. Something that I used to think is, was boring, being a religious writer. Everything else is boring compared to that now because it is amazing the stories that are out there. I did the Amazing Grace book series with Jeff Cavins and, and Matt Pinto. And uh, those were bestsellers. People would say over and over again that they couldn't put it down. I heard the most amazing stories, like from a woman being gored by a blue marlin to um, a woman that, you know, her dad was in the mafia. Just all these amazing faith stories, everything under the sun. And I realized how exciting life actually is that religious people aren't boring. They've tapped into um, something you know, far greater than, and I'm not, I'm not knocking secular writing. I'm not knocking that. I'm just saying that that became my path and it's been a very exciting one. So tell me, tell me a little bit about, um, you know, so young people that, that may be listening to this, tell me what kind of habits that you had back then um, and maybe continue to this day or improved that got you into the position where you were able to be that productive. So, you know, for example, I mean, do you wake up early? Do you do a certain thing every day? Do, what kind of disciplines do you have that, that help you in, in creating, you know, this, this, these productions? Well, one of the things is letting go of what you want and just saying, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And you will be surprised. You will go places you never expected. Um, and you're, you know, just let your faith grow and follow that, but then do your best with what's ever in front of you. And that includes embracing failure because sometimes, and I, I've talked about this before and I've written about it, that um, failure sometimes can be your greatest blessing because it stops you from going where you thought you were going to go. And if something doesn't work out, well, okay, 
reassess what's going on here. What can you learn from this? Um, and then you start to having doors close, other ones open. And wherever you go, do your best. Don't expect God to do everything for you, but kind of be in touch with that. Be in touch with the spiritual so that it isn't just about the world. So that, you know, why did I stop writing for the National Enquirer? Because it was just about the money and I didn't want to sell my soul. I didn't know that by when I turned down an assignment, when I made that decision, by the end of the week, I was going to start writing for Woman's World for 10 years and they paid the exact same. I didn't know that opportunity was going to present itself. But what I did know is I had to do the right thing. I, ha I wanted to start doing the right thing and I wasn't going to compromise that. Even though the money was tempting, money was not going to drive my decisions. And they still don't. I mean, I still turn down things. I, I do marketing now and there's some stuff that I just think, no, I'm not going to put my name on that. Um, and, and so sometimes I do things for free because I'm passionate about it. And for instance, I write for catholicmom.com. I write for a lot of different places and they don't pay, but it's a, it's a beautiful gathering of Catholic women writers and some work, some stay home, some are writers. And I ended up being on Fox and Friends because somebody stumbled into an article and they wanted to talk about older moms. And I had written about that. So there's going to be opportunities you never could have given yourself that will present themselves. So, um, you, so that's part of answering your question is um, don't try to control everything, but do your best. Look for opportunities. Um, be humble. And by humble, I mean be humble the Mother Teresa way. Mother Teresa, she had guts. <laughs> yeah, she right. wasn't afraid of anybody. She stood up before Clinton and Gore and their wives at the National Prayer Day breakfast and sat and talked about the importance of life and um, prote protecting the most vulnerable, the unborn. She wasn't afraid of anybody, but she was very humble. And by being humble, she said, I know who I am. And therefore, nobody can hurt you. Nobody can knock you off of a pedestal that you put yourself on. And, and, and being humble isn't saying, oh, this ugly thing, or oh, I'm no good about that, because that is still self-focused. I have a whole chapter in Holy Hacks on humility. What is humility? It's, it's celebrating your gifts, because they're your God-given gifts. You're, God tells us to, or Jesus told us to um, love your neighbor as yourself. We can't love your neighbor if you don't love yourself. And so what do you have to do to love your, yourself is to celebrate your gifts and you use them not just for yourself, but if you're using them to serve God and serve others, it's going to come back to you and you're going to feel good about what you're doing. You know, I could have made, I didn't know when I turned down the National Catholic or um, National Enquirer, when I stopped working for them, I did not know there would be opportunities, but I stayed true to myself and right around the corner, became a new opportunity that worked out very well for me because I was able to work from home and write for Women's World magazine. Um, and so by staying true to yourself and doing your best and, and celebrating, when I won the, the first place award in blogging from the National Press Association, I was, I was so excited, but I knew it wasn't just me. I knew that God had presented all these opportunities for me. So in celebrating yourself, you're celebrating God at the same time. The opposite is being prideful, trying to get ahead of everybody else, 
being jealous, and that is exhausting. It's exhausting yeah. because it's a losing endeavor. You're always comparing yourself with others, and you're going to be better than some and worse than others. And it's like, just stop playing that game and be the best that God made you to be. And it, you, you become peaceful. So tell me then, Patty, the, the, um, I think we'll edit this part out because you, you kind of broke off a little bit there for a second. We, I think we had a North Dakota type thing happen. But yeah, but anyway, so um, let, let me ask you this question. So you say keep the focus away from yourself and then listen to, to what God wants you to do. Rather, I mean, we, when we say that you're our Father, we say, you know, your will be done and, and they're basically not, not ours. Um, it's easy to say very difficult to do so how do you what kind of habits do you have to to be able to discern what is what god wants you to do rather than what you want to do there's only one way and that is a strong prayer life and you can't skip that because when you develop a strong prayer life you start to get an inner voice that you know is bigger than you so i mentioned that we had two boys from kenya it wasn't my idea. I resisted. And I said, okay, we'll just pray about it. And uh, Joash had no money. Uh, Joash and Calvin, they had no money. Calvin is the older. He could come to school in the United States. I didn't know that. He had no reason to think it was possible. He owned two pairs of pants, had no parents. His parents had both died of AIDS. And I, he was suffering from malnutrition, walking to school an hour a day each time. How did you hear about Calvin? A friend of ours became, he went out, we have a, Bismarck has a Kenyan mission where they would have people go out and serve at a Catholic area or a Catholic um, parish area. He was teaching at the Catholic school. Calvin's uncle paid for him the fees to go to the Catholic school. When, when Calvin was praying that prayer, he had never met an American. So what a ridiculous prayer that one day he could go to school in the United States because he read a book. And it was a novel, and, the, and a character in the novel went to school in the United States. So he began praying this ridiculous prayer. Ivan came home kind of on a sabbatical, was visiting different friends, and we said, hey, Ivan, we had him over for dinner. Is there anything you need? I was thinking, you know, like a pair of good shoes or something. He said, well, as a matter of fact, I need somebody to take in a teenage boy. What do you think? Well, I mean, we could barely feed the ones we had. We said, like... And, and, and it was the type of thing we would have done because we were foster parents before. We ran a group home for delinquent boys. And I felt this great sense of relief because I could say no with a clear conscience. I said, you know what? Even if we wanted to, we can't. We can't afford it. He goes, yeah, I kind of knew that about you guys. But every, I kept asking people and they kept saying, what about the Armstrongs? Have you asked them? They already have eight. What's one more? They won't even know the difference which is true, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know, coming from a big family, that's actually kind of true. It's easier to bring in one more when you right. have a lot. So um, then he said, wait a minute, what if I asked some people if they would help um, with his expenses, would you take him in? He didn't even have a birth certificate at that point. So we said, okay, we'll pray about it. We had so many hurdles. He needed to get a birth certificate. We needed to become his legal guardian so insurance would cover him. So we were as much as parents as with our other children. Um, the Catholic school, high school, had to agree to take him in. 
without uh, tuition, without adding to the tuition we were already paying. So hurdle after hurdle after hurdle, he got through. Two weeks before he came, uh, Ivan emailed me and said, he just got his visa, he'll be there in two weeks. He got his passport and his visa. And I'm not kidding. I dropped to my knees and I said, okay, blessed mother, you're gonna have to help me. There were so many different hurdles, including getting a visa, which is not easy from Kenya to the United States, because it's considered a terrorist country and his passport. So Ivan sent me an email and said, he got his visa, he'll be there in two weeks. So I dropped to my knees and I said, okay, blessed mother, you're gonna have to help me be a mother to this boy who I've never met, because I knew I had to be as much a mother to him as to our boys. Well, if, if Ivan would have written me and said, oh, it turns out he's not gonna come after all, I would have been glad. I would have said, whew, I don't have to go through with this. But let me tell you, it was the best thing we ever did. He was such, he is such a beloved member of our family. And uh, it was so much fun because he's the same age as our son, Tyler. And then three years later, his brother, Joash, came. So we had four in high school at once. I had five teenagers at once. And uh, it, it was the best thing our family ever did. It, it, it added so much. And so how uh, old were these boys when they came to your house? Um, like 14, 13, 14. They, they started out. Now, Calvin was always, he was easy. He was a breeze. He was just a good, good kid. Josh, oh my gosh. <laughs> I thought he doesn't need a mother. He needs a probation officer. What have we done? <laughs> he was tough. And I, and Ivan at one point said, you know what? You tried your best, send him back. And I thought, oh, I just can't do that. But I, we were tempted. But he came, to, he came to us and he said, hey, can you give me one more chance? And he started going to the chapel. What I realized is he was only eight years old when his mother died. And he felt, and his grandfather said to him, you were evil just like, you're evil just like your mother was. And it's like, he was not treated well. He was, he was really, he had it tough. And so he had a tough exterior. He came here with that attitude and he was tough. And so after maybe seven months or so, he came in the summer, he was a freshman in high school. He was doing horrible in high school and he tested at it between a seventh grade and a first grade level. And he wasn't even trying. And I thought, he's not even gonna graduate high school. Why are we doing this? He doesn't appreciate it. And of course we were all praying. And he said, can you give me one more chance? I stopped at the chapel today at school and I'm gonna try harder. And he did, he started. I mean, he wasn't perfect, but at least he was trying. And then something happened to totally change his life. What was that? He found out he could run. He had gone out for soccer. He didn't even know he could run. He had two horrible, humiliating experiences in his life, running. He tripped and fell and everybody laughed at him and he said, I'm never gonna run again. But he kind of, like a year or two later, he wanted to run. So he entered a race and he thought he was doing well. And one of the officials pulled him out and they said, you're out of here. He didn't know it was a walking race and he was running. So he's like, I'm done with this. So he went out for soccer. So his freshman year of high school, uh, we had our two older boys, Calvin and Joe, uh, Calvin and Tyler were in track and track. And Jacob, who was his age, went out for track. So he said, okay, I'm gonna go out. And he blew everybody away because he could run. 
And, you know, by, by his senior year, he broke every cross country except for that one. And um, he was amazing. And he never, he didn't even know he could run. And that changed his life. He used to say, why is everybody cheering for me? I was at one uh, track meet and I just had tears in my eyes because I was at the top. He would, we live near the track and he'd call us right before his event instead of, you know, like you spend eight hours at track meets. Yeah, right. Um, and so we started, we had little kids at home. So we started going out there right before his event. And I was standing, we could see the stadium down below. So I had a bird's eye view and he was running and he was in the lead the whole time. You'd think, no, don't take the lead so quick. But he had the lead. And I just had tears in my eyes because the whole stadium was cheering and yelling, Joe Wash, Joe Wash. And I thought, they have no idea. They just think, wow, he's doing really well. He's a good runner. They have no idea what this means to him. Because this is a boy who felt once his mother died, he said, now there's nobody to love me. His story is an amazing grace for families, by the way. I included it, sat down and interviewed him. And, and got to know his story way more than I realized. Because he felt, when I said, Josh, can I tell your story? By then, he had really turned his life around. By the way, he graduated on the honor roll. This boy who was getting bad grades, bad attitude, and tested at a first grade level in some areas in English. Um, he, he ended up with a scholarship for, for running, but he also was on the um, honor roll. And wow. I thought... And I said, can I sit down? I want to do your, I want to include your story in Amazing Grace for Families. And he said, mom, I don't want everyone to know what a loser I am. And I said, Josh, are you serious? And so I understood it, it was such an important point in his life and our life. I said, Josh, you were a little kid. You know, he used to sell the family corn and trade it for beer. And they're like, what's happening to our corn? We're starving. He had, they have one other older brother. And so the grandfather stepped in to find out what is happening to our family corn. And um, he, he was just criticized and treated harshly by relatives. So of course he didn't, you know, he acted up. And I said, Josh, you were just a little kid. You did what any little kid would have done. And the important thing is, is he turned it around in a big way. So I'm getting a little bit of a nature versus nurture vibe here. So um, the, the Calvin and Joash story tells me there's a little bit to the nurture. Um, you know, they had two parents that loved them. And Calvin did very well. He was a beloved member. And it was just, um, yeah, I mean, we hung in there for them. And because, because I worked in the field of social work, I know there's no guarantees. A lot of people think that you love these stories where you bring in a foster child, or you adopt a child, and it has a happy ending. They don't all have happy endings. I mean, no, I get that. I've seen that. I've seen a lot of bad endings. Trust me. It doesn't, but it doesn't mean that you taking them in and loving them isn't important yeah. and worthwhile. But you got to go in with your eyes wide open. And um, Joash, he was very much loved by his mother and father, and he had to get past the hurt. And he had to bring those walls down. And it took a while and it wasn't easy. And um, they didn't just go down overnight. Um, so yeah, there, there is that nurturing. And there's also, you know, we, we, he went to St. Mary's High School and it was a good school. And he had a friend who was in track and cross country. Well, he ended up running cross country then for the public school because we didn't have a cross country team. And they had a, an amazing coach. Um, so Coach Anderson. So yeah, there is, there is a lot of nurture because he was 
placed in an environment where he was loved and supported and taken care of. And he started out in that same kind of environment too. He was yeah, very so, Yeah, so Calvin, tell me where his story is now. He will be, um, he's doing an extra year of fellowship at Duke University. He's an anesthesiologist. He, did, he decided to do an extra year of residency in infectious diseases. He graduated from University of Mary in respiratory therapy. He met his wife there, um, who was also a respiratory therapist. He will be coming back to Bismarck and working at St. Alexius Hospital. And um, his, I mean, he's just a very humble, hardworking, it, the relatives always loved Calvin because he always did the right thing. He was just a good, good kid. But this is the story that touched my heart. Ivan didn't like him um, after his parents died. He used to hang around the hospital a lot. And, and, and Ivan said, I didn't think that was good for him. I said, you need to stop doing that. And so he did eventually. And, and after he'd been with us for a couple of years, I said, um, Calvin, why did you used to hang around the hospital all the time? And he said, because I didn't want to sit around feeling sorry for myself. And I knew there were people worse off than me. So I'd go to the hospital and help them. I thought, wow, <laughs> he was just a teenage boy. And, and I say that Calvin came to us part teenager and part adult. And Josh came to us part teenager, part little kid. He loved cartoons and <laughs> just, um, but in the end, you know, he ended up probably bonding with us even closer because he was, just a kid at heart but yeah he did have a good heart yeah and so so calvin is a medical doctor now yes he is wow that's that's a that's a great story and then joe ash ended up uh in the marines and he's he's, he's gone through the marines now hasn't he he's a yep he's a controller he works for the government and he's getting his master's in business right now and and when he was when there were colleges recruiting him and he was getting to gather his shoes and going to practice for cross country. I said, Josh, could you have ever imagined your life being like this now? He said, not in a million years. Oh, that and is so, wonderful. I love when I talk about When I talk about embracing failure, you know, how many stories do you start with failure or hardship and there's beautiful endings? So um, Patty, you know, on a personal note, um, Maybe you could tell us some defining moments in your life that, that were they're key to you making big decisions um, about where you're going to go. Well, the one I mentioned, the National Enquirer, I was right. doing something that wasn't consistent with my values. But at, I, and um, also when we lived in Montana, Mark was an award-winning broadcaster. He won the Associated Press Award. Uh, NBC had called him out to do to cover a plane crash for Sioux City, Iowa. And then lo and behold, a small local radio station laid him off. So here we've got failure. And um, it became a huge turning point in our life because we were, you know, hit and miss on our faith. And we said, you know what? We're going to put ourselves in God's hand and say, okay, you decide where you want us to go. And he would apply places and they would say, you know what? You did so well. I shouldn't tell you this, but you know, you're, you're a, a definite shoe in And then he wouldn't get the job. And for the first time in our life, we said, okay, then it's not where God wanted us. Well, lo and behold, he had one month of unemployment left. He gets a call from Bismarck, North Dakota. 
somebody in radio who said, I heard that you're looking for work and that you've won all these awards and somebody recommended you and I'm looking for somebody. And, you know, when Mark told me about the phone call and we thought, oh my gosh, we're going to Bismarck, North Dakota. You know, I wasn't excited about it, but this has been such a good place. We, you know what we were praying? We were praying for a place, we, a good place to raise our family and where we would grow spiritually. This has been such a good place. We, at the time, you know, it was pretty good. But, you know, there, there, we had a shortage of priests. And uh, now we are one of the top places for seminarians. This place has just really been transformed since we got here in 30 years. Lots and lots of young priests. They are, they're kid magnets. Um, they seem to attract more kids into the seminaries. I, and so, like, um, our vocation director once said, if, if the diocese, Archdiocese of Detroit had per capita Catholic seminarians that we have, they would need over 300. So we, this has been a good place. So um, it, that turning point was Mark losing his job. And it became one of the best things possible. You know, the turning point and our boys from Kenya, it was, it was horrible that their parents died. They were suffering from malnutrition. But now look at how successful they are. And so it seems every time, okay, let's talk about COVID. How many people? Yes, there has been a lot of sadness and I'm not going to try to minimize that. There's been hardship, there's been sadness. But how many people do you hear? Somebody just emailed me and said, COVID, where have you been all my life? <laughs> because there are four teenagers, some who are adopted, that they were having trouble with and they live on a farm. They are having this amazing family experience and it's the best they've ever experienced. And so, and, and you know, you're doing these Zoom podcasts that you're reaching people in new ways that you haven't before. And so I just think everything seems to have a silver lining. And um, we have a, we have a um, priest in our diocese, Monsignor Thomas Richter, who calls it our holy, this is your holy place, he tells people, because it's when everything else is taken away and it's just you and God, you know, all of a sudden you are, you've cleared out the things that have been getting in the way, causing you pitfalls and hurdles. And that's when you're really going to hear the voice of God and say, okay, now where do we go from here? Tell me some, um, some, some meaningful people in your life that have been, you know, people that, that basically, you know, sat you down or, or basically looked you in the eye and said, hey, uh, Patty, you know what? Uh, maybe this is something that you want to consider doing other than what you were doing or, or somebody that inspired you. I mean, I know there's probably thousands of those. I mean, obviously, you know, growing up, our parents are that way and other folks, but are there any people that are that stand out in your life? Not, I, I can say that I, I never had like a mentor per, per se. Um, Ivan, who uh, was teaching in Kenya from our diocese and the one that sent the boys to us, I, I looked up to him a lot because he was a simple, humble man. Mother Teresa. I recently, I write for Legatus magazine and I recently interviewed three women who are highly successful CEOs in their own business, in entrepreneurs and founders of their own businesses. And I got a lot out of talking with them. And we, we came up with, you know, 
tips for others. Not only did I tell their stories, but I share those tips with a son of mine who immediately started taking them into action. And I realized they were how to succeed no matter what you do, whether you're in business and they were in business, whether you are a stay-at-home mom, that it's, you know, things like um, do what you say you're going to do, be on time, get your work done. And I don't care if you're um, a stay-at-home mom or you're the head of a corporation, do what you say you're going to do. Um, be on time. And, and my husband would laugh at that because he thinks I'm late everywhere, but I'm just not as early as he is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, um, so now you're uh, getting to be a somewhat empty nester. Uh, what, give, us, give me what's going to happen in the next five years with Patty Armstrong. You know, even though I, I, I've gone to movie junkets where I've met um, Hollywood celebrities and I travel a little here and there, but not a whole lot because I don't like to be gone. Even though my kids are older and they would go, mom, go, we don't care. Like I care. Yeah. So um, I, that's why I want to start doing podcasts. Um, it's funny now that I'm a little bit more open to traveling more. I have traveled a little here and there. Well, there's not a whole lot of traveling that's going to go on for the near future. So we'll see what that looks like. And um, I just have more time to, I, I, I I, you know, I, I have kind of been working my way into this with my son, my youngest, or our youngest in high school. I have had a lot of time to myself, but we have grandkids now and I visit them a lot. Um, but when I visit them, I can still work at the same time. Really writing has been perfect for me because I can write and I am kind of an ambitious person. I like to do well. So I'm, I'm just going to be doing more of what I'm already doing, really. Okay, so I so I know that we we have Holy Hacks that was just published, and which I'm going to go buy immediately right after this. I'm going to get on Amazon. I'm going to order Holy Hacks, and then I'm probably going to send it to you to get signed, and then give me one more secret Holy Hack, and then I'm going to get with that back here, and then um, Joseph, uh, I Joseph, I'm going to sign you a copy and mail it to you. The copy you buy from Amazon, you give as a gift to someone. I will do that. I will do that. But I, I want to know what's, you know, I want to know the secret sauce here, Patty, because you're living a life that is meaningful. And I, I know that, um, you know, I've read a bunch of books on uh, St. Teresa of Calcutta, um, Mother Teresa. And, um, you know, people would always go up to her and, and say, you know, Mother Teresa, you know, I want to, you know, I want to help. I want to do this type of things. And she'd always say, you know, go home and love your family. That was a, her number one thing. And then whenever people would say, thank you, thank you, thank you. She'd always, you know, take them to the chapel and she'd point to the crucifix and say, you know, everything that I have comes from God. Every gift I have comes from God. And it's that, it's that, that sense of just gratitude that, she had for all the grace that God had given her and the ability to be able to communicate and to lead and those types of things. I think that's probably what you got from those CEOs that you interviewed is that they understood that everything yes. that we have is a, is a gift from God. And then once you internalize that, and once you have the understanding that, you know, I, I, my, in my belief, is that the biggest epidemic in America is loneliness. And, you know, one of the things that my mom always taught me was that you know, you're never alone, that God's always with you. And um, so that's good. 
And so if, if we can express that somehow to people and that for them to understand that not only are you in God's hands all the time, but your kids are too. And to take some of the pressure off of you, you have to be, do all these things for your kids. When you have to understand God has them in your hand, in their hands. And your job is to listen to God as to what's right for them. Yes. But they have to listen yes. too. Yes. I mean, these are all, this is all stuff that, that I think we're going to get from, from reading those books of yours. Oh, in a big way. It, it, like the whole Amazing Grace series is it, they're they're amazing stories of God working in people's lives, and it and they're great stories even for people that aren't Catholic, like Amazing Grace for Mothers and Amazing Grace for Families, because there's no preaching. It's like you're witnessing these amazing stories of what happens through the grace of God. Um, you know, Holy Hacks is that is my secret sauce because it's everything from gra a whole chapter on gratitude. Mother Teresa is featured in there. The saints are featured in there. Jesus is featured in there. And then I also have a whole chapter on a lot of famous people like Father Don Calloway and uh, Catherine G. Lopez and Abby, um, what am I drawing a blank? Abby uh, Planned Parenthood. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, we just, just call her Abby. That's okay. good. Yep, Abby. So anyways, I want to know what their holy hacks are. And so they shared with me. But it's, it's amazing how your life can be transformed. I talked about my dad in 94 and what it, now he was an example. I should have said, you know, who was a big example to you? My dad and my mom had a lot of good sayings. Like she would say, is this going to matter a hundred years from now just to get things in perspective? But I like what you said about taking the pressure off yourself, and especially as a parent. We feel like, you know, this is, this is our most important job. But so many of us expect that we have to do it. We have to make them believe this. We have to make them think this. We have to make them succeed. And we need to take a step back and work in union with God. And it takes so much of the pressure off of us. And um, so that we're doing our best and we're going to keep doing our best even when they leave home. But we just keep putting them in God's hands and stop thinking that we can control everything. Yeah, you know, one of the things that, that um, you know, I try to get practical somewhat with um, you know, my generation and this coming generation or the coming generations. And, you know, I agree with you that not the preaching part is just the practical part of having a faith in God is that, for example, I, I try and say, listen, you know, you're a coach, you know, you're, you're, you're a coach or a coach, a player coach of a basketball team and you have 12 people on the bench. Why wouldn't you want to pull God and the Holy Spirit and Jesus Christ and all the saints off the bench and, and have them help you in your life because what's the downside? All you, so, you know, I remember St. Augustine always talking about that, that God um, is like a hound that is, will constantly pursue you, constantly, constantly pursue you. And all you have to do is turn around and say, yes, I will accept your help and your grace. And that's it. And, and so I always tell these folks, listen, what, how great is your life? How great is your life that you couldn't accept the help of grace of God in your help? And then it, it makes your life so much easier. It really does. As a matter of fact, I'm going to tell you one of my favorite holy hacks. Uh, if I travel on a plane or I go anywhere, I always say, okay, God, you decide who I sit next to. And you decide, you direct our conversation. Well, I can't tell you the number of times I've been told it must have been meant to be that you sat next to me. And usually they're the ones that drive the conversation. 
where these amazing things happen. And I have, I know other people that do that too. So basically you just sign up, say, okay, God, you, you decide where I'm going to go and what I'm going to do. And you direct everything and you will be amazed how your life suddenly you start to see his, you, you feel and experience his presence, even if it's who you sit next to and how your conversations go. And then life, instead of you trying to drive it, it becomes an adventure, a very a fun one too. Yeah. And we'll close this up. So I, I try and tell that to folks that I said, listen, you do not run into people in life uh, for no reason. And you're either going to be a plus to them or you're going to be a minus to them. So why don't we always focus on trying to be a plus to those folks, do a lot of listening. And my mom always said, you know, you have two ears and one mouth, just make sure you at least twice as much listen than speak. And so that's always been a good recipe for me. Cause you know, at my house, you know, it's better to listen to what's, what's going on there um, than, than to do a lot of speaking, but just, you know, do the St. Francis thing, which is, you know, go to town and preach, but if necessary, use words, right, Patty? Oh, absolutely, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, so thank you so much. I hope this is one, one of the first of many conversations that we have, and I'm, I'll be praying for you that your podcast uh, and video cast, they, they call them, will take off, and that you will be able to interview all these great people, and then put them on video so that people can watch them on iTunes or YouTube or whatever. Well, this is a prime example. I said, okay, Lord, if you want me to do this, you're going to have to send somebody to help me, give me advice. And then you, at the very beginning, before we started recording, said, if you need any help, I, I can help you. <laughs> so sure. it's like, wow, he's, you, you've been sent by God. Oh, great. Well, thank you so much. And listen, I, I'm really looking forward to reading your books and I follow your blogs and, you know, the National Catholic, National Catholic Register and Holy Hacks and all these different books. Look, just Google Patty McGuire Armstrong or just Patty Armstrong and you'll find all of our great stuff. Keep it up. Just keep the daily stuff up, will you, Patty? Oh, thanks. This has been such a joy. I know we'll be in touch with each other. All right. Take care, Patty. Thanks. God bless you. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the opening statement with Joe Shannon. You can find us on the internet at shannonlawgroup.com or telephone our office at 312-578-9501. Have a terrific day.